Hello and welcome to Lift Off from your friends at Relay FM. It is made possible this time by our sponsors, Squarespace and ExpressVPN. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Stephen, hello. Hello, Jason. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing fine. How are you? It's good. It's summer. It's hot. But um, people don't come to this podcast about the weather, I suppose. I Nobody wants to hear about that. But how about a comet? Would you like to know about space weather? I would love to know about this. This story is captivating. Yeah. So there's a comet. Uh, it's called Comet C slash 2020 F3 Neowise. Great name. Neowise, mm-hmm. we'll call it. Brightest comet in 23 years. Now, comets, I don't want to say comets are are r- super rare, which I almost wrote in our notes. And instead, I use the phrase pretty uncommon to have a good naked eye comet where you can just look up and say, hey, what's that? That looks like a star that is fuzzy. And it's a comet. So this has been in the morning skies. It is now in the evening sky. In the, I think it's visible from the northern hemisphere right now in the evenings. It's, uh, it's. Let me back up. It was discovered by Neowise. That's why it's called Comet Neowise. C twenty twenty F three Neowise. That Neowise is the near Earth. <laughs> did you know? Did that? Did you notice, Stephen, that that was probably an acronym? Yes, it was all capitalized. It's all capitalized, and, and your space sense goes off, right? And you're like, oh, boy. That's right, yeah. What does it stand for? Near-Earth Object Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer, NEOWISE. So they dropped the F from wide field in order to get it to be NEOWISE, because otherwise it's NEOWISE, and that's not as good. Uh, NEOWISE is a spacecraft that catalogs near-Earth asteroids. It's looking for, you know, asteroids that are close to us or might harm us in some way. And then they found this one object, and they're like, um... Why is it so fuzzy? Because it's a comet. It turns out it's a comet. And if you don't know, comets are, you know, balls of rock and ice. They are from deep, deep in the outer solar system and beyond. And then when they get closer to the sun, they get all fuzzy because it warms up and they get solar radiation hitting the hitting the ice. And it uh, comes off the comet as uh, particles and as ions. Um it is three miles across this one, five kilometers across. Its orbit is about a 7,000-year orbit. So this is not one of those things that comes back every 60 years or something. This is Mm-mm. a far-out no. comet. Um, it passed around the sun on July 3rd. Um, but, you know, it's all warm, and it's headed out, and it's trailing uh, debris behind it and is appearing just after sunset. Um, the article I read said, just after sunset, below the Big Dipper. So... Uh, I would say if you can go outside and see to your north and see the Big Dipper um, after sunset, give it a try. Bring binoculars if you can um, and give it, you know, try to see it because although I remember as a kid, I read about comets all the time. And I think that in the um, comets are, are super variable, right? Like comets are not... They, they kind of come and go and they there can be clusters of them and it's just sort of chance. And when I was mm-hmm. a kid... Um, especially reading lots of astronomy books in the 70s um, and early 80s, it, the attitude was that comets happened all the time, and that's because there had been a spate of visible comets like Kahootek, and there were, there were some others, and that like people talked about them. There were like Peanuts cartoons about them, and like it was in the common kind of vernacular. And then and I was like, oh man, comets! It's going to be great. And Halley's comet was going to come in the in the 80s, and uh, and then it was a, just a huge disappointment. Like there were no comets. And the Halley's Comet came and you couldn't really even see it. And it was just kind of a a bust. And then in the, I want to say, 90s, we were lucky and we had had Hale-Bopp, we had Hyakutake. There were a few comets that were visible. But this is the brightest one in 23 years. So what I'm saying is there could be another bright comet next year or the year after or not for 40 years. So avail yourself of going and looking for this, uh, this comet. Um, now you'll see a lot of spectacular photos of it out there. Those are generally, you know, longer exposures. They're not going to look quite as spectacular with your naked eye as they will with your with looking at a camera from a uh, a very a sophisticated photographer who can adjust and uh, and manipulate the image in order to make it look the most spectacular possible, like the one that I saw today that is over a castle in Europe. It's gorgeous, but you know, you may just see a fuzzy ball in the sky, but it's cool. And if you're interested in space stuff, I would say try to go uh, somewhere where you can see to the north, ideally away from uh, from city lights or at least from nearby bright lights, even like a field or something would do, and see if you can um, 
see if you can spot Neowise. I saw one that it was lined up to be centered over Stonehenge. I was like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> well, we know where it's going to be, right? And so you can yep. you can plan those things, and very clever photographers are planning those things. But, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a special thing. I remember... Um, I remember again. I think it was Yakutaki that we saw when I was uh, I went up into the foothills where my parents were still living up there uh, before they retired, and we, and so it's pretty dark out there. And I remember how spectacular that one was, where you could actually see the ion tail, which is um, which is ions being blown off by the solar wind, basically, and the debris tail, which is the uh, you know the debris that's trailing behind as it moves forward. And uh, you could see them both clearly, this faint, ghostly kind of blue ion trail as well as the bright trail. It's, it's just gorgeous. So um, I, I don't know how this will be, and it really depends on where you are and what you're looking for. But I, I heartily recommend that you check it out. I haven't gone outside to look at it either, but I, I'm going to try to do that tonight. And as we record this on July 14th, um, like this is this is prime viewing time. So if you're listening to this episode recent, you know, in the next day or two after we uh, record it, uh, I beseech you to go outside if you can. Um, yeah. So Neowise, Comet Alert. There it is. Space weather. Super cool. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Rocket Lab. Okay. They're they're plucky. Love them. New Zealand launch site. Yeah, New Zealand's favorite rocket company. Uh, it unfortunately ended its streak of 11 successful launches of its Electron rocket. Uh, on Saturday, Saturday, July 4th, they had a loss of vehicle about four minutes into the flight. I don't think there's much known about exactly what happened at this point, but it was a, a launch that included customer payload. So there were mm. seven small satellites on board uh, from customers, including Canon, Planet, and the British Faraday One. So little CubeSats, which we talked a bunch about. CubeSats are awesome. Go CubeSats. Um, but they they were all lost. And you know, it was downrange. No one was in danger or anything like that. Uh, but they're going to be spending some time uh, figuring out what, what went wrong. It, it comes at kind of a bad time for the company. They've been really pushing... The speed at which they can they can launch these things. This was the second launch in just three weeks, and they continue to work to shrink those those times. Uh, one thing that Rocket Lab has going for it is the Electron rocket is small, mm. and so it it seems like it's something that they can uh, more rapidly produce. In fact, they've got eight in a hangar, kind of ready to go, barring any design changes that come out of this investigation. Uh, but they're also working to build a second launch site. So right now they're in New Zealand, but they're building uh, a second launch site at, on uh, Wallop Island in Virginia, where they would uh, be able to uh, get into different orbits. And that is ex- expected to be done later this year, actually. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you're never so, going to beat that that New Zealand site, which if people haven't seen like oh, the pictures, or it's just beautiful. It's just this rugged, out of the middle of nowhere um, New Zealand. Uh, promontory and there's like a launch pad on it. It's so it's so great. It's so cool. But I get that access from uh, from the northern hemisphere and from that particular latitude going and shooting over the Atlantic is also going to be good for them. Yeah, yeah. It'll definitely open up more availability and I think more customers who may be U.S. based and getting even something like a CubeSat to New Zealand is a bigger undertaking as if you're already here in the u.s yep. so it's a good move for them it's an exciting move for them uh but they're going to be working in the in the coming days and weeks to work out what happened with this launch and hopefully get get back on track because they that launch site should be ready to go this fall that was their most recent statement on it so hopefully that doesn't knock them off track too far because i think it's a really interesting exciting company yep i agree uh i've got a pre-flight checklist item for you about NASA redefining and sort of saying that it will continue to explore how it defines planetary protection. Yeah, I read some about this. What's what's going on here? Yeah, so the story here is that uh, we talked about in our Apollo uh, episodes, we've talked about how they all got quarantined in case there were like moon germs or something. And mm-hmm. obviously our, our conception of what's on the moon and what's on Mars and all that has come a long way. Um, we've sent a lot of probes, probes to Mars. We have a much better idea of what's going on. NASA is refining its planetary protection protocols. So this determines what steps they have to take to prevent contamination when they send various missions to 
locations in the solar system. So they've redefined this for the moon and Mars. For the moon, what they've done is basically reclassify most of the moon as what's called category one, which basically means that there's no expectation of finding life in any form there. And so very little concern about protection needs to be made, which is good because, you know, all of the Apollo missions left like bags full of of human ex- excrement behind yeah. and stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Like we let we've already left a lot of bacteria on the moon, I'm sorry to say. Mm-hmm. Don't go near that part of the sea of tranquility. Anyway, um so <laughs> category one, they're just saying like, look, we know there are no moon germs. Uh it's gonna be fine. And then they're they're leaving a certain portion of the moon categorized as category two. And this is basically places where water ice might be, including at the South Pole. And the idea there is you need to take stricter safeguards when there might be water ice present because one, water ice is a possibility because any place there's water, there could be life. And I think two, the idea that the water might be used by, you know, for like human consumption and things like that potentially. So the idea there is that, is that, you know, you've got like, don't worry too much about pollution in category one, but in category two, behave using a different protocol uh, so you don't mess up the, the ice. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I would imagine it's more about that ice being available for different uses as opposed to thinking there could be life there. Um, Now, Mars is a little bit more kind of hazy. What they've done is made a commitment to come up with new guidelines based on what we need to do if we send humans to Mars. But it's really almost like a uh, sort of like a declaration that we will reconceive what the planetary protection guidelines should be for Mars. Right now, Mars is category four, which is like super strict. Don't we try to uh, very hard not to contaminate anything. We we decontaminate spacecraft we send. Now, the truth is, are we able to completely decontaminate anything that we're putting on a rocket and sending into space? No, but we do our b- very best to get it as close to completely sterile as possible because what you don't want to do is introduce Earth bacteria into a Martian environment where you could then later say, hey, we found bacteria, there is life on Mars. And it turns out, well, no, it's the stuff you brought with you and you don't want to you don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. It, it's the same kind of idea about why we send uh you know, our planetary spacecraft in plunging into, you know, Jupiter and, and, and Saturn instead of letting them kind of float out there is we want them to basically incinerate and not contaminate, even potentially contaminate any part of that system. So so humans are walking contaminants. We are gross, is what I'm saying. So uh, <laughs> we will have to we will have to come up with some procedures if we send people to Mars about like what level of concern are we going to take and what steps are we going to take. What are the guidelines going to be in order to uh, have a level of non contamination of a, what is now probably a completely pristine planet. So it's all a work in progress, but it's uh, from a space law standpoint. I should have. You know, we really need some space oh. law music here. This is sort yeah. of a space law kind of thing a little bit. Space It's more of a space guideline than a space law, but I think that, um, I think it's interesting. So uh, worth, it is. Worth, worth considering, like, I, I think, right, like smart about, let's talk about what our rules are about what people can do and not do in terms of junking up the surface of other uh, solar system bodies. Well, and now's the time to do it before Artemis and more private spacecraft end up at places like yes. the moon yes. places like mars I, I didn't even mention that one spacecraft the uh that that's that put uh tardigrades all over the surface of yeah. the moon gonna Ugh. try to rein that in and i mean these rules were put in place four decades ago and they haven't really been revisited since and 40 years ago the idea that you would have uh, a private space company put a human lander down like that was right ridiculous and and yes yeah it's a different world now and they should be reimagined and reclassifying most of the moon as category one may sound extreme to some people but it means that we can do this cheaper and more quickly and that's not necessarily a bad thing so uh, i'm very curious what they end up doing with mars i just would guess that it is something like the moon where instead of being a blanket statement there's different regions with different categories and different criteria but uh, we'll see how that unfolds, I guess. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Space law. You worked space it in again. Space law. Yeah. You want to take a break? I, I do, because in, in space, there are two kinds of justice. There's space law and space guidelines. 
This is their story. I, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Let's do an ad. Let's, let's do an ad. <laughs> this episode of Liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea, complete with a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store or a portfolio or write a blog. Where Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all of that stuff. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no server upgrades you have to fret over in the middle of the night because Squarespace has all that covered. We often talk about the complicated things you can do with Squarespace, but sometimes it's the simple things that are nice in life. Uh, if you need a single-page website, just a landing site for you know, some personal contact information or a, a project you're working on, those are really easy to do too. And you can set something up that looks great in just a few minutes. Squarespace has award-winning 24-7 customer support. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And their templates let you show off all of your great ideas. Their plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com liftoff. You decide to sign up, use the offer code LIFTOFF to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name and to show your support for the show. Once again, that's squarespace.com liftoff and the code LIFTOFF to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of the show and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Uh, so up next, we're going to uh, talk about Commercial Crew and the Boeing Starliner. Which, of course, had a, a not-so-great test run back in December, but mm. NASA and Boeing have been working on what's going on, completing the, that test flight review. Where do things stand? Well, Stephen, next year might be the year of commercial crew. For Boeing. <laughs> For Boeing, at least. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, they got to fix... I mean, we talked about this in detail, so basically it's it's a restatement of a lot of the things that we've talked about before. They got to fix a lot of stuff, a lot of software stuff. Um, Boeing has to change their documentation. They have to change their operations procedures. There's a list of 80 total recommendations that Boeing has to nail down um, before that they can launch. Remember, before they can launch their second test flight without any people on board because they mm -hmm. had to redo this because the first test flight had so many issues. And what I thought was most interesting about this whole report and, and story is that NASA admitted that they were so focused on SpaceX because SpaceX's process for developing a spacecraft are not the traditional NASA contractor processes, right? SpaceX's whole thing is they're a private company. They're going to do things a little bit different. They're trying to reinvent how space is done in order to make reusable rockets. And, you know, they, they're trying to do a new, a new way of making spacecraft. And the people at NASA are like, uh, okay but we don't know how to do that. So they really spent a lot of time focusing on SpaceX's new methods and questioning them and all of that. Meanwhile, Boeing is doing their, their thing. And NASA has had such a long relationship with Boeing as a contractor, and they've used Boeing as a contractor and know its processes. And in this report, they basically admitted they took their eye off the ball with Boeing. They, they felt so comfortable with Boeing and so uncomfortable, really, with SpaceX's processes that they decided that they would... It wasn't even they decided. They naturally gravitated toward focusing on SpaceX and letting Boeing do its thing. And the problem is that Boeing had a lot of issues and they didn't spot them because they were kind of... Uh, their, their focus was... They, they took their eye off the ball. That's the best way I can I can phrase it. And that is interesting because that is not just Boeing messing up here. That's NASA admitting that it messed up in letting Boeing mess up. And and they actually use a phrase called a high visibility close call. And this it, you can you can guess what that means. This is basically something bad that happened. And although the spacecraft was fine and it still returned to Earth and all of that. It's very clear that this falls in this bucket of, well, I know that I know that nothing blew up, but this was bad. This was like a really bad day. And we're lucky. And we talked about this in one of the Apollo missions, I believe, where there was this feeling like, 
you know, everybody got back safe and it was fine. And then, and when the spacecraft was down, everybody looked at each other and said, that was a disaster, right? We got the astronauts back, but we made, we had so many problems with that mission. Well, this is like that, a high visibility, close call. And that initiates a process within, in, within NASA where it has to examine its own organizational blind spots and find out why this happened and why they allowed the Boeing process to get out of control. And then they will have to redefine working with Boeing, those procedures, as well as Boeing's sort of like approach to software. And there's just a whole giant bucket of stuff that Boeing has to do. So yeah, it's um not great. And uh, it puts Boeing kind of way behind. I mean, Boeing's got a contract. They Once they're all checked out, they're going to fly stuff to the ISS. But the way it works, and actually Eric Berger at Ars Technica had a great uh, <laughs> pithy response about this, which is, sounds like there are a lot of ifs in Boeing flying its second mission this year because it's if they complete dozens of software upgrades, if they test those updates satisfactorily, and if there's room in the International Space Station schedule to have another ship uh, come in and dock. So um, it's it's tough. I mean, we're we're definitely not seeing people in a Boeing in the Boeing Starliner until next year at the earliest, and it could be longer. Who knows? So it's a tough one. It is, and that doesn't account even for like any delays with COVID and all the other stuff going on in the world, right? That's not doing them any favors if they're trying to work, you know, cross teams and be collaborative with NASA because NASA, we talked about it, embedded engineers in the Boeing process. And I'd imagine all of that slowed down right now. We have some real-time follow-up about what to name the space law segment. The Discord thinks it needs a name, like the uh-huh. SLS segment. Yeah. Uh, Ryan came up with SOSGAL, segment on space guidelines and law. Okay. SOS gal. SOS gal. I just, I, I've got a few that I, I want to workshop. One is just calling it slaw for space law. Space law. Like a little side <laughs> of slaw. Uh, slug, which is space law <laughs> and guidelines. Little German for you there. Little German. Okay. Uh, SLO for space law and order. Just straight up. SLO. Uh-huh. San Luis Obispo. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I like... I mean, space law is is so great as a phrase, but I think that there's probably more. De- anyway, if people have other ideas for things to call the space yeah. law and guidelines and order and whatever else segment, please send them in. We'll continue because we could. Yes, we could. We could brand this. This podcast is all about creating more acronyms. That uh-huh. why not? Why not? I mean, SLS segment is just about perfect. That's true. <laughs> it's really long and it's a word and it, it all works out. So uh-huh. let us know. Uh, hit us up on Twitter yeah. with a space law name. Space law. Shall I tell you about a uh, uh, another thing that's going on this summer in uh, space? Summer of Mars! Summer of Mars! Yes, it is the Summer of Mars. Um, not here at Liftoff. On, on planet Earth, it's the Summer of Mars. Because we have reached the point in Earth's orbit and Mars's orbit where they're close together. Or more accurately to say, where if you leave Earth now... It'll be the shortest distance to reach Mars because it's not quite like the planets stop and then you run across, right? Like we're we're behind Mars, but we're catching up with Mars's orbit. And this is the perfect window to launch to Mars. So you launch your spacecraft in July 2020 and it gets there in February 2021. And there are there were gonna be four, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. One of those missions isn't happening. It's got it's gotten pushed off until the next Mars Earth transfer window. But there are three Mars missions scheduled to to fly this month and 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 soon. And so I wanted to recap them all and then we can talk about them as they happen. But um, let me take them in order. So the first one is the Emirates Mars mission. This is the United Arab Emirates Space Agency, which has only been in existence for 14 years. But for to celebrate basically the 50th anniversary of the UAE, which is in 2021, the prime minister of, of the United Arab Emirates in 2013 uh, declared that they would go to Mars to celebrate this anniversary. So seven years ago, they said, hey, let's do a Mars mission to the you know space agency that had only been in existence for seven years at that point. And they're like, uh, OK, because they had mostly been doing Earth satellites, like satellites for Earth observation. They're like, all right, we'll give it a shot. So they got a $200 million budget. They um, they got some help. Uh, University of Colorado at Boulder spent uh, it was was a major uh, 
factor in this. They had they had a team there that helped build this thing, design and build it. They also got help from Arizona State University and UC Berkeley. So uh, definitely got some help. But um, this fledgling space agency put this thing together. The spaceship is called Hope. And it's launching. Actually, as we record this, it is launching in a few hours, scheduled launch. Um, so by the time you hear this, it will have happened or it will not have happened. But uh, it's it's July 14th. They're launching from Japan. Um, it's July 15th in Japan that they're launching, but it's it, it'll be it'll be a few hours from now here in the U.S. where we're recording this, and it's on uh, a Japanese H-2A rocket from uh, the Tanegashima Space Center in southern Japan. Uh, so we'll find out. The goal, by the way, of this mission—it's pretty cool—is essentially uh, Mars's first weather satellite. Is, is, yeah. that's the that's the elevator pitch which i really like it's it's uh there have been some high atmosphere analysis and there have been some sort of like surface analysis satellites because we have a constellation of satellites in mars orbit which is really cool we have been observing mars from space for a while now and it's awesome it's not just about the landers it's about relay satellites that are also telescopes and things like that that are looking down at mars the idea with HOPE is that it's going to look at the lower part of Mars' atmosphere, which has not been as carefully studied. Um, it's going to have kind of an elliptical orbit. It's going to be able to observe different sides of the planet at different times. And it's going to be able to do some observations about how weather evolves throughout the Martian year and maybe even understand a little bit more of the source of like Mars dust storms and stuff. And this is not something that's widely understood because the observation platforms we have for it are not ideal and seeing it from Earth is not ideal. So uh, you put a weather satellite around Mars and you can make observations. And that's something that the UAE in their charter for this mission felt strongly about is they didn't want a Me Too mission where they're like, yay, we also did a thing that everybody's done before. They wanted to to the science and put something in Martian orbit that was going to do something new and so if they if they pull this off they will do that because they'll have the weather satellite for mars that's really yeah. cool yeah so watch for that launching soon okay next mission is the chinese mars mission and this is interesting we haven't heard a lot about this and that's because the chinese space agency doesn't talk a lot about what it's doing it kind of keeps things secret uh but we do know some things this is tianwen one it is uh they're going for it all this is the, this is china's first solo mission to mars they participated in uh a russian mission in 2011 they had an orbiter on a failed russian mission so this is their second time going to mars the first time on their own and they are going all out an orbiter a lander and a rover yeah just it's a swinging for the fences they they, they really are a reminder that there have been 18 landing missions on Mars, only 10 of which have succeeded, nine of which are NASA missions, and then one Russian probe. So just a reminder that landing on Mars is extremely hard, and only NASA has done it well. So if they if they nail this, it will be a huge win for the Chinese space program. They are sending a 240-kilogram rover. It's about the size of a small golf cart. It's about the quarter the size of the Mars 2020, the Perseverance rover. Um, it's got ground-penetrating radar, which is really cool. So they may be able to have some really interesting perspectives on what's under the ground at their landing site. That's pretty awesome. And it's launching July 23rd, which is a little over a week from as we record this on a Long March 5 rocket from Wenchang, which is in Hainan Island. So that's not the it's not the launching site that, that litters rockets on people's houses. It's the one that's actually yeah. uh, right on the on an island. And so they, they launch over the ocean, which is good. And the landing, again, not a lot of uh, promo videos about this that have been put out by the Chinese Space Agency. But the idea here is that it's going to have a parachute and then retro ro rockets, and then it will bounce in an airbag so similar to some nasa missions of uh late late 2000s era right there were there were some yeah. nasa missions with the bouncing airbag and the the heavier like mars 2020 can't do that because the heavier it is the <laughs> the more it's going to break when you bounce it around um but this is a lighter mission and they're going to use the airbag as the final kind of final phase to get it down on the ground um and it's also going to do some prep work for what what uh china would like to have in the 2030s which is a sample return mission so uh yeah so chinese uh chinese going for it all uh and we'll keep an eye on on tianwen one 
That is a lot of objectives to pull off for your first time. It is really ambitious, but they, like you said, they're swinging for the fences. I think they want to get. I I think they feel like they're catch, playing catch up, and they want to catch up. <laughs> so here they go, and if they do it, it's going to be very impressive. And if they don't do it, yeah, I, I, I don't. Mean, if they don't do it, I think we all will just acknowledge that it's hard. Like it, it, I I don't think a mission failure here is actually unexpected, and um and. I, I would have everybody keep that in mind in case something happens uh, to the Chinese mission is that it's a very hard thing to do. And they, they were trying a high degree of difficulty here. And if they succeed, it will be uh, a big step for them. Huge step. So I should also mention the third mission, which is the the U.S. mission, essentially. This is Perseverance. Uh, Perseverance has been mated with its Atlas V rocket that will be taking it to Mars or at least giving it the boost to send it to Mars. The plan currently is to launch July 30th from Kennedy Space Center. Now, they actually had to delay the launch a little bit. They've still got about half of their launch window. But um, due to some COVID-19 cases on the launch team, that that led to a slowdown, understandably. Um, and and But they're, they say they're on track for July 30th. Of course, one of the most interesting things about this mission is the little helicopter that's hitching a ride. Um you know ingenuity which is i love space you helicopters. can't you can't fly it because of the the distance between uh earth and mars so you gotta you gotta pre-program it so it's an autonomous uh autonomous space helicopter mars helicopter mm-hmm. and uh and it's you want to talk about the the helicopter again we'll, we'll give it a little we'll, we'll be talking about this a lot in february but it's worth talking about it now you want me to give it a whirl is what you're saying yeah yeah, give uh-huh. it a spin. <laughs> yeah, so Ingenuity, it's it's packed on the back of Perseverance. It was not part of the original design, right? Like, I, I've heard some grumbles from people who are like, oh, man, we spent all this time making this rover, and then they stick, they like Velcro a, a, a helicopter on the side, and that's all everybody wants to yeah. talk about. Yeah. A little mm-hmm. backpack. Little backpack. Uh, it the, the trick is flying in a very thin atmosphere, so you really have to balance the weight of the craft itself and the speed, the rotors will speed will spin very quickly to, to make enough lift it has to be very lightweight. Uh, it will have about 30 days of active mission life. And the plan is for five flights. Like you said, this has to be on its own because of the distance you can't react in real time, but they will plan and upload the flight path and what it's supposed to do. Uh, to Ingenuity, and then it will go and, and do its thing, hopefully. First one will be really simple, you know, starting just with a basic hover about three meters off the ground. And over the course of the five flights, they will work up the comp, uh, complication of those flights. I, I don't think they've said what the the outermost goal is. At least I haven't seen that, but... Start small and work your way up. And this is uh, a big stepping stone because there are plans to do this out in the outer solar system at some point. So it is, uh, it's really exciting. Uh, it, it is sort of weird that it's just on the back of this other mission, but it's super experimental and fun. So I'm really yeah, excited. The idea that they could just add it in, and this is a, a place where technology has improved so quickly in terms of. Um, shrinking down microprocessors and, you know, because of phones and things like that. And then, of course, we see drones and what drone technology can do and what autonomous drone technology can even do, even in the consumer or semi-consumer space. So it it turns out, though, that, like, you mentioned the outer solar system, like Titan, we're going to send, like, Dragonfly to Titan. That is a a Mm -hmm. big space helicopter. But Titan's atmosphere is thick. The problem with Mars's atmosphere is it's so thin so even though the gravity is light, it's so thin. And, and and there are some great videos about how hard it was to test. So they they went they took it to to Chrissy Field. No, not to Chrissy Field. They took it to um to NASA Ames. And uh and they they have that giant vacuum chamber basically. So they reduced they reduced the mm-hmm. air pressure in it to Mars levels, and then they like also had a tether on it to get it to simulate Mars gravity. And then they had to see how it flies. And it's funny because like the first demos, they had no control over it and they had to figure out all sorts of things in order to get it to be stable. And it's a unique flying challenge. And the the conclusion of it, by the way, is that you won't be flying. Flying on Mars is going to be hard, right? Like for people, because there's just not enough air. Uh, There's not enough atmosphere at Mars to make it like that. But you, you can take a little drone there. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. 
But anyway, that's all coming in July. And then we put a pause on it and we come back in early 2021, basically around February of 2021. And that's when they get there. And that's when the uh, the real excitement begins, assuming that they all launch successfully from Earth. The next step is uh, getting to Mars and stopping or landing, which has been hard for missions in the past. Very hard. Uh, that's that's really why the Chinese mission is so impressive to me if they pull it off, because that takes a lot of practice to get right. Yeah. Well, we, we're going to talk about budgets, everyone's favorite thing. Uh, but you want to tell us about our second sponsor first? Oh, boy. Budgets, budgets. Well, before we get to budgets, um, let me tell you about li- uh, Liftoff sponsor, ExpressVPN. You know, using the internet is good. Having people know what you do when you're using the internet is bad, and everybody wants to know. Everybody wants to peek in and use that data to sell you things or to aggregate you or to display ads or whatever. Um, and I use essentially private browsing incognito windows all the time to look at sites that I don't want to track my information. But, you know, your computer or your phone or your iPad, when you're in private mode, it's still sending information like your IP address. Um, And it doesn't really matter. Your ISP can be monitoring your traffic too. So there are lots of reasons where even if you think you're being safe, you probably can step up your game in terms of privacy. And ExpressVPN can let you do that. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers. All your internet service provider sees is an encrypted connection. They don't see any details of what you're doing. It's available on all your devices. This isn't just a computer thing. It can work on your phone. It can work on your on your tablet. It can work on your smart TV. It, there's no excuse for you not to use it. I have been using ExpressVPN for a while now. I use it on my iPad mostly. It's super easy. One tap and I'm connected. I used to use it all the time at a coffee shop when I would go there to write, but I don't go out anymore. But I still, and and I I use it (laughs) when I travel, but I don't really travel anymore. But I can stay home and pretend that I'm traveling to other countries by using the VPN software to make it seem like I'm in the UK or Ireland or somewhere, which is, you know, it's not quite as good as traveling there, but it's something. Your, Your IP address can travel there. So protect your online activity today with a VPN that was rated number one by both CNET and Wired. Go to expressvpn.com slash liftoff. You can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash liftoff to learn more. Uh, That's not an acronym, by the way. It's just, I was just spelling it out for fun. Thank you to ExpressVPN for supporting Liftoff and all of Relay FM. So it is perpetually budget season. It feels like, feel like we talk about this uh, way too often, but the House Appropriations Committee, the Commerce Justice Science Subcommittee, uh, has been looking at NASA's request. This year, it included a 12% budget increase to land a crewed mission on the moon by 2024, the, the Artemis missions, and that subcommittee turned that down recommending the agency receive the same amount as fiscal year 2020, $22.6 billion instead of the $25.2 billion requested. That doesn't mean this is what's going to happen. It's got to go through the House. It's got to go through the Senate. It's got to be yeah. reconciled. Yeah. It's got to be signed in the and overall got, federal budget. You've got different parties involved in the two different houses, which means that this is, you know, this, the best way to view this is this is the starting point, which is mm-hmm. really interesting because there were some people who thought the starting point was going to be nothing. Yeah. And it's more than that. And that suggests that there will be a negotiated response between the House and the Senate that will get them get NASA closer to what it wants. But we don't know for sure. Yeah, that's that's usually how this how this ends up. So the number is the same as the previous year. But there are some interesting things to talk about. Um, We've spoken a lot about the Europa Clipper being tied legally to the SLS. (laughs) Yep. And it, it looks like that bond could be weakening. So the SLS is going to cost about $1.5 billion per launch. There probably won't be one ready for this mission until 2026. Currently, the spacecraft is expected to be done by 2024. So you have a two-year gap where you have to store it and care for it. Uh, that gets expensive and complicated. And the the $1.5 billion price tag is just bananas. So... In the House legislation, Congress says that NASA, quote, shall use the space launch system, if available, as a launch vehicle for the Jupiter Europa missions 
and that there must be a plan to launch the orbiter no later than 2025, which is, again, a year before it's expected that an SLS would be ready for this because NASA and Boeing have to build these one by one. They're not reusable. Um, That seems to open the door to something like the Falcon Heavy, which could do this with a more powerful upper stage called a kick stage. And it could do it for a lot less and meet the 2025 deadline. So this is not a done deal by any means, but you can start to see the door opening a little bit towards an alternative timeline with this launch vehicle. Yeah, I I suspect that there are some people in the Senate who will object to this because this has been one of the things like a reason to do SLS. Mm -hmm. But... I I like the approach the house has taken here because it's not saying don't use the SLS. It's saying if you can't use the SLS, don't use the SLS. And and that that is right. like you said, maybe the most important thing here is if the mission's ready to go and it takes a long time to get to Europa, right? A long time to get to the outer solar system. If it's ready to go, it's going to be expensive to let it sit on the shelf and wait for a ride when there's another ride that it could probably go on. So uh, we'll be interesting to see how this plays out, but it might it might open that door, and that's a good thing. Yeah. So so that is something that uh, if I had to guess right now, um, I don't know if the House would get what they want out of this. I think that there are plenty of powerful people who would just want it to wait for the SLS. Maybe Artemis acts as a as a distraction, right? Which is Artemis is going to be all about the SLS, and so maybe having one. Uh, client for the SLS drop out in the short term is not uh, a big deal, but we'll see what, what they say. Yeah. They may have, hmm. right? Because yeah. if it's like, oh no, you're taking away our SLS, Artemis is basically the only human rated way to get to the moon, uh, or is SLS using. So for Artemis, they have to use SLS for the people essentially at this point. And that might be enough of a distraction be like no 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 artemis is our ride or uh celeste is our ride for artemis so it's fine maybe the human landing system which is being worked on by nasa blue origin dianetics and spacex we just talked about that last last episode uh the white house request included 3.37 billion dollars for that program instead what the house did is is keep it at the 628 million dollars it was last year uh, so this is part of a bigger line item that's $1.5 billion called Exploration Research and Development. It covers the lander, the lunar gateway, and other activities related to the moon's surface. So things like your hardware you need once you're on the ground, spacesuits, you know, boots, life support, everything for this is this line item. And it didn't get the bump that uh, NASA and the White House had requested. What that means for the HLS, uh, we're not really sure at this point. Um, It's still pretty early on in this partnership with these companies figuring this out. But it did give me the thought that the House, which is run by the Democratic Party, doesn't seem super keen on making it easier to put astronauts on the moon in 2024. That would be the end of Trump's second term if he were to be reelected this fall. And feels uh, uh political not to uh get behind that in in these ways. What do you think about that? Is that that come yeah, to mind it does, for you? And I think it's maybe foolish because first off, it's not going to happen in 2024. <laughs> and second, you could also place the bet if you're the Democrats that it's going to be your guy in the White House in 2024, in which case it looks good for you. So, I think maybe it's 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 short-sighted to play politics with this one. Um, and honestly, if I were in the house, I would, I would say they're not going to make the deadline. Like nobody really believes they're going to hit 2024. And so to spite, potentially spite Donald Trump to play a slowdown on this, I'm skeptical about that. Like, and, and I don't know, it also seems a little bit, unless they truly believe that this whole thing is, is, uh, is ridiculous. Um, the whole Artemis idea, which I don't think it is. I, I hope that they that they consider this and that this is debatable um, when they're reconciling with the Senate, because it, it seems like uh, a, a, the wrong move to me. It would be different if this was like literally asking to vote to give Trump a win. But this it's so speculative on so many levels and so far off that um, it, it seems like a, a mistake if they're really just being political about this one, because we don't know the political outcome. And I agree with you that even if they had 
they had the budget they requested. I still think 2024 is drastically ambitious. And I think a lot of that comes down to the SLS itself, probably. <laughs> but and 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 no amount of money clearly can fix that because they've thrown tons of money and time at it. It's just you gotta finish it. So yeah. Kind of a mess. But um a couple other things. Uh like previous years, that house put more money towards science and STEM engagement than the White House requested. This is like the third year in a row, I guess, that they said zero dollars for STEM engagement and Congress went back with $126 million. The cuts that this administration has tried to make in this budget in previous years, it's the same cuts they're trying to make now. Um, yep. And Congress, at least... This is literally the cut that they... When you and I went to the NASA social and they unveiled their budget, this is the this is the cut, big cut everybody was talking about, was cutting all the STEM programs. And Congress has repeatedly said, no, you're not going to do that. And Congress holds the purse strings, so... They continue to have mm -hmm. them. And so this game continues to be played. Yep. And I think that Congress is going to keep funding these things because they're important and they don't want to be seen as the group that killed STEM engagement. Yeah. Exactly. And then the administration mm -hmm. not wanting to do it is because uh, they're jerks, I guess. That's all I can say about it is it seems like mm -hmm. a real misguided thing. And the fact that they keep trying to do it is really frustrating. So like we said, this is the beginning of a process. It'll be... Months of negotiations, presidential election, COVID-19, lots of things getting in the way and slowing this down. But uh, we'll keep tabs on it. My guess is it'll end up where it's ended up the last several years where Congress more or less gets what it wants and NASA and the White House have to deal with it. Yep, that is probably the case. I wanted to, before we go, I mean, since we're on the topic of the budget and politics and things like that with NASA... I uh, wanted to throw a little praise at Jim Bridenstine, the, Nat the NASA administrator. There have been a few stories in the last few months about him working with Congress. And when this stuff came out, specifically the, the, the House's budget, I thought it was really interesting that he praised it and said, we disagree about some things, but I really appreciate their engagement. And, uh, you know, we're working together on this and we'll work with the Senate and, and, you know, Bridenstine's a politician. He was in the House of Representatives. So that also means he was the colleagues of the people in the House who voted for this, even though he was in the other party that's not in charge of running the House day to day mm -hmm. right now. He strikes me, and again, it's from a distance, but I've seen some other people who are closely watching NASA who have said the same. He strikes me as ha having been a very effective administrator who is, and the, his praise for the conversation with the Democratic party controlled house shows that he's trying he what he's not trying to do is accuse them of destroying all of nasa's space plans and all of that and going on the on the um war the, the war footing about this right like he's not doing that and you would you might say to yourself well of course he isn't no smart politician no smart nasa administrator Nobody in government would just lay fire down on the House of Representatives because they have to approve your budget. I would remind those people what administration Jim Bridenstine works in. That's standard procedure. <laughs> and yet he mm has -hmm. shown, and this is a conservative Oklahoma congressman, right, who got in this role. He has shown that he's trying very hard to do what's right for NASA in, and work with both parties and all, you know, all of the, the people in power in government to do what he wants. Now, what he's been chartered to do is by the Trump administration is to, you know, do this Artemis plan, which is it's got the president sign off and Mike Pence is there uh, on on those those committee meetings and all of that. But. I just wanted to say, I think he's done a good job and I am, pre I, I think he's, he's exceeded my expectations for him a lot. And, um, if, if there is a change in administration next year, it will be interesting to see what happens with NASA, because I do think that he's been pretty solid. And if he gets replaced, which probably would happen in that case, it will be a challenge for NASA to see, can they keep the continuity of purpose, or are they going to tack in another direction? And that's, I think, the big question for NASA for the next four years. 
if there's a change in the government is can you show a has Artemis gone far enough down the road now that it continues or do, do they tear it apart again? And my feeling is that it probably has gone so far down the road that it will continue in some form, even if they adjust the deadlines or whatever. Although an incoming president probably would love the 2024 uh, moon landing deadline too, right? <laughs> because it would be in their term. Sure. So anyway, yeah. I, I just, it, it's, I think it's interesting to see how, how, what a good job Bridenstine has done. And on one level, it's perfectly logical. He is a politician. So to play the political game is something that he's good at. But that said, given the administration that surrounds him, where there's been a lot of scorched earth stuff and not playing the political game with the other party, he seems to be doing that. And I think that's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't roll my eyes at everything Bridenstine does. Instead, I feel like he he is trying very hard to say the right things to everybody to get what he wants for NASA. And uh, again, not an extraordinary bit of praise, but we live in times where it is. You know, I agree. I've we we definitely both shared our hesitancy about him being named yeah. to NASA, the first head that came directly out of. Uh, a political position, but I think he's adapted well. And while don't agree with all of his decisions, I think he has made them all with the true belief that it's best for the agency. And that's, that's hard to argue with. And, uh, and yeah, I think uh, he'll probably be gone if there's a, a new administration next year, but I'm hopeful that they can continue down a path. I mean, one reason Artemis and SLS and all these things take so long is that the priorities change every four to eight years. And we, we've we seen that with the last several presidents of both political yep. parties. They're both guilty of it. And NASA could really get something done if it could have a decade to work on it. And yeah, I agree. Artemis 2024 is bold, but if the next administration, whoever it is, keeps their heads down on it and are willing to keep funding it and keep working at it, it will happen. It may not be in the year that that Mike Pence announced, but it will happen. And that would be spectacular. But they have to play the longer game. And administrations, again, of both parties don't seem to like thinking about the long game sometimes. Yep. We'll see what happens. You know, that's we'll, we'll just have to keep an eye on it. All right. I think that's it. Yeah, I think so. I think we did it. If you want to find links to stuff we spoke about, they're on the website at relay.fm slash liftoff slash 128. While you're there, you can get in touch with the email or you can find us over on Twitter. Jason is at jsnell and you can find me there as ismh. Until our next fortnight, Jason, say goodbye. Go look for the comet. (laughs) Bye, y'all.